Welcome to the e-commerce badassery podcast, the place for scrappy female entrepreneurs who want to learn actionable steps and strategies to grow the traffic, sales, and profit in your e-commerce business. I'm your host, Jessica Totillo Coster, a 20-year retail veteran who spent three years as the only employee of a seven-figure online store. That shit was crazy. I know exactly how it feels to do all the things, and I'm sharing everything I learned the hard way so you don't have to. I may have started this business by accident, but supporting badass bosses like you lights me the fuck up, and I am so stoked to see you grow. Are you ready, babe? Let's roll. Welcome back to the e-commerce badassery podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Totillo Coster. One of the things you hear all over the internet and on this podcast when it comes to e-commerce marketing is to focus on collecting and utilizing zero and first party data, which sounds great in theory, but the real question is, how do we actually do that? Now, we have gone into this here and there on the podcast, and I'll link to some other episodes you can check out, but I'm excited to dedicate an entire episode to it, so let's dive in. First, let's talk about what zero and first-party data are. Zero-party data is data that your prospect or customer intentionally and voluntarily shares with you. Some examples of zero-party data would be birthdays you collect, answers to a quiz or survey, and if you have a content or product preference center someone can update, that is all zero-party data. First-party data is data that you collect passively based on the customer's behavior. For example, what products they view on your website, what products they buy, what emails they engage with, etc. The first-party data conversation really rose to prominence with the announcement of iOS 14 because its claim to fame was giving iOS users the ability to block third-party tracking by apps. Essentially, it no longer gives Facebook and other apps visibility into your browsing activity without your explicit consent. We're not going to go into all of the details about that today. I'll link you to some other episodes in case you're not fully versed on what the iOS 14 change really meant. But for the purposes of today's conversation, the most important thing to know is zero and first party data is really the future and even the now of marketing. Now that we understand what zero and first party data are, let's talk about how to collect it. As mentioned, first-party data is the data that you passively collect through customer behavior. And the amount of data and your ability to leverage that data is really based on the power of the technology tools that you use, specifically your CRM or email marketing platform and its integration with your e-commerce platform. The trick with first-party data is that it needs to be tied to a specific customer. Otherwise, it becomes really hard to leverage. Sure, generic first-party data like your best-selling products, best-performing marketing channels can help you streamline and optimize your strategy at a high level, which is great. But when it's tied to a specific person, you can then personalize your interactions with that individual through email, SMS, and even on your website. So you already know Klaviyo is at the top of my list when it comes to email marketing for e-commerce, but I understand that Klaviyo isn't for everyone. 
And truth be told, there are some things that do annoy me about Klaviyo. I still love them though. It's not necessarily enough to stop using it, but my point is Klaviyo isn't the only email platform that works for e-commerce businesses. A platform I recently dug into and fell in love with is Drip. Drip is a master at automation and I love the flexibility it gives you to move people through those automated journeys. They're the clear winner in terms of what can be done for automated flows. The way they manage product isn't as good as Klaviyo, but I will say they've been investing a lot into the development of their platform, so I'm excited to see what they release. OmniSend is very similar to Klaviyo in terms of how it functions and what's possible. Unfortunately, the last time I checked, they didn't have dynamic content for campaigns, which is a real bummer and kind of a deal breaker for me, but hopefully it's on their roadmap. If you want to check any of them out, I will put my links to them in the show notes for you. What makes all of these platforms so powerful is their deep integration with e-commerce platforms like Shopify and the ability to store custom information about your customers on their profile. And having the data on their profile is how you actually leverage it. This is in stark contrast to a platform like Flowdesk, which is just not built for e-commerce and I really beg you to stop using it. All right, so you've got your tech platform dialed in and we're properly collecting and storing first-party data. So it's time to be proactive about collecting zero-party data. Because remember, zero-party data is the information customers provide you voluntarily. When it comes to collecting zero-party data, this is where more of the nuance comes in because it's gonna be dependent on your business and product. The first step is to identify what information you want to collect and what's going to be helpful for you. In most cases, someone's birthday is pretty universal across all businesses because what customer wouldn't love to get a little treat for their birthday? Let's run through a few examples of different types of zero-party data for different types of businesses to get those creative wheels turning. When you're trying to decide what information to collect, you'll want to think about the outcome of having those answers and what you'll be able to do with it. More specifically, will it change what products you recommend, the type of content you send them, or the words you use to market to them? If you sell kitchenware and cooking supplies, you might want to know what level of chef someone is. Williams-Sonoma collects information like this. You might also want to know if they bake or not. Not only would this allow you to better personalize their product recommendations, but it will also change how you market to them and the type of content you send. For example, during the holidays to those people who say they bake, you can send a bunch of fun holiday cookie recipes and the tools they'll need to make them. But if someone doesn't bake, it's unlikely that's going to drive much revenue from that group. But a great side dish recipe with the perfect serving dish might convert better. If you're a home decor store that isn't niche to a particular style, you might want to know what their preferred style is. Is it boho, modern, traditional, industrial? Again, not only would this potentially change the product recommendations and content you send, but you might even choose to use dynamic content to show them different lifestyle images of your products in an email. Let's say you have a new piece of table decor that could work in multiple of those design styles. 
instead of showing the same one image to everyone that might make it difficult for someone to envision in their home, you could create a boho version, an industrial version, a modern farmhouse version. And in most cases, you can do this with some stock imagery and good Photoshop editing. This way, when someone opens your email, they can immediately see how that product would fit into their home. Random fun fact, my home has a mid-century industrial vibe. If you sell jewelry, you might want to know someone's metal preferences or whether or not their ears are pierced. If you sell supplements for pregnant people, maybe you want to know what stage they're at. Are they trying to conceive? What trimester are they in? Or are they postpartum? If you're a clothing boutique, you might want to know what the favorite part of their body is that they love to show off. If you sell multiple categories of clothing, such as men's, women's, and children's, you might want to ask which are relevant to them. If you have a multi-location local business, you might want to know what their preferred store is. And notice I said preferred, not necessarily the closest, because maybe there's a store that's closer to their work versus their home, and it's just easier to hit that one on the way. At my previous gig, we wanted to understand what product categories they were interested in. And yes, we could see what they did and didn't buy, but due to the nature of our products, if there was something they explicitly weren't interested in or didn't want to hear about, we wanted to honor that for them. If you sell skincare and or makeup, you might want to understand their top three skin concerns, their lifestyle, their habits, or even their skin tone. You get the idea, right? Once you identify what information you want to collect, then you have to decide the best way to collect that data. Typically, this is going to depend on how much data you need. Let's say you only need one piece of data, their preferred store out of a total of six locations. In that case, a simple dropdown on your email signup form is enough. You can even expose this on your manage preferences form and then have a link on your website and email footer that says update your preferred location. For a skincare brand, you likely want to learn a lot more about your customers, like their top skincare concerns, their skincare habits, their lifestyle. In that case, you'll be better off with a product recommendations quiz or a survey. This way, you can get all of that data in one shot. Putting that many questions on a sign-up form uh, is a bit too much, but in a quiz or survey, the customer expects there to be more questions. So if you need to go the quiz or survey route, it's going to be all about picking the right tool. And there are two main considerations you'll have. One, how is the data passed into your email marketing platform? And two, if you want to give product recommendations based on those answers, how do the recommendations work? For example, Interact, which is a popular quiz platform that recently released its integration with Klaviyo, does not sync over the individual answers to the questions. It only sends the final result. So if you're creating a personality type quiz, you would only get the personality. Sure, that's helpful, but knowing the specific answers to the specific questions would be even more helpful in most cases. In terms of product recommendations and what functionality you need, this will depend heavily on your assortment. If you want to recommend a collection of products or a skincare routine, you'll need to be able to weigh products by collection and set the specifics of what is recommended. 
In that case, a tool like Product Recommendations by Revenue Hunt is a good option. It's not the prettiest, but the functionality is really flexible and the price is totally reasonable. I used it with a skincare client and we were able to set up a quiz that recommended a specific skincare routine, one product from each category of face wash, AM and PM serums, moisturizer, SPF, and a mask. If you have a smaller assortment of product and don't need to upvote or present a collection of items, check out Prehook. The founder, again was on the podcast talking about the power of quizzes and zero-party data. It's episode 107 if you want to take a listen. I haven't looked at the platform in a while, so it's possible things have changed, but I do remember it being a bit of a struggle if you wanted to present a collection of items, say a capsule wardrobe based on their style preferences. So now that you've collected the data, how do you actually use it in your marketing? The main goal of having data like this is to personalize the marketing experience for each customer. That can be done through the imagery you use, the products you recommend, the copy you put in your emails, and the general focus of the emails that you send to them. This can sound overwhelming at first, but as long as you have the right tech tools like the email marketing platforms I mentioned earlier, it's actually pretty easy to implement, especially if the platform supports dynamic content. And when I say dynamic content, that just means you can set conditions on blocks of content that only show to the people it's relevant to. This can also be done with conditional splits and flows and segmentation for campaigns. One thing to be careful of, especially when it comes to your campaign sends and if you have a small list, is not to over-segment. Sending a campaign to 20 people, no matter how well-targeted, is unlikely to generate much in the way of revenue. As your list grows, segmentation becomes more important. But even when you have hundreds of thousands of subscribers on your list, you'll still want to balance the input with the output. For instance, instead of trying to create a campaign for each segment of your list, you could just exclude the ones you know for sure any particular email isn't relevant to. I also recommend you focus more on segmentation in terms of where a particular customer is at in their journey with you versus those individual preferences and characteristics. I do think you can put more effort into utilizing this information in your automations though. And I say this because these are emails that are triggered by the consumer's behavior, their activity on your website. And while you have to put in a bit of work up front, it's not something you have to try and update or be strategic with every single week like your email marketing campaigns. For example, if a new subscriber takes a survey or product recommendation quiz, you can send them different content and product in your welcome series. Think about the skincare example I used earlier. We can create a different welcome track for each of the main skincare concerns. So we can have one for acne prone skin, one for dry skin, and one for aging skin. Not only are we going to send them the proper product recommendations, but we can even change the copy and calls to action in our emails. Clear up your acne now. Age gracefully. Get the hydrated, supple skin you've been dreaming of. In each of these cases, we're able to speak directly to the outcome that particular customer is looking for. We can also follow up with more targeted content in the rest of our welcome series and even our other automations. 
Instead of saying something super generic in a card abandonment email, we can again reiterate the outcome they're looking for specifically. That can be a lot more powerful than just saying, hey, you forgot this. One of the other things I always include in abandonment emails is objection handling content and reviews. Using dynamic content based on their personal struggles and the products they're looking at, we can create targeted content there as well. When you have the right data and the right tool to utilize that data, you're really only limited by your imagination. Once you really start to grow and scale, you can even use this data to personalize the experience on your actual website. Yes, that is a thing. You can show different customers different feature banners. You can highlight specific products. There is a lot of cool stuff you can do with the help of data and tech. It all starts with collecting the data. One of the hesitations you might be having is wondering where the line is between helpful and creepy. And that's completely fair, especially given consumers' fears around online privacy. But studies have shown that not only do consumers expect a personalized experience, they spend more and are more likely to recommend brands that provide them. And a large percentage of them are willing to give a brand more information if it means that it will create a more personalized shopping experience for them. I'm not going to go through them all in this episode because it's already getting a bit long, but I'll stick a link in the show notes to some statistics about the state of personalization and how consumers feel about it. The short story is, yes, consumers are concerned about online privacy as a whole, but that's a lot different than asking them to take a survey or submit their skincare concerns so you can provide a better shopping experience for them. All right, so what are your next steps to implement this? The first step, identify what information you need. The easiest way to do this, just set aside some time to brainstorm and think through what the experience would be like if you were on the phone with a customer or in person with them. If they were discovering you for the first time, what questions would you ask them to recommend the perfect product and or the perfect content for them? Once you identify what you need to know, then decide how to collect it, are you going to put it in your sign-up form or do you need a survey or quiz tool? Then just start implementing it into your strategy. I would go to your email automations first. You don't have to revamp your entire system right off the bat. Just do it little by little. Start with your welcome series and your abandonment emails as those are typically the biggest revenue drivers. And if you're hesitant at first because you fear people might get freaked out, especially in your abandonment emails, Set it up as an A-B test. Let the generic one and the personalized one run it in parallel for a bit and see how it affects engagement and conversion. And remember that it's impossible to make everyone happy. So even if you get a few people who complain and say this is creepy, that's not enough to abandon the strategy altogether. I worked with a client a few years ago. She's got a pretty big customer base and does multi-seven figures in revenue. When we first turned on her browse abandonment email flow, it immediately started generating a ton of orders. But she did have one or two people complain about it. So what did we do? We just filtered them out of the flow by their email so they don't receive that. But we weren't going to miss out on all of that revenue because one or two unhappy people out of thousands. And pro tip on your browse abandonment email I typically make this specific to the products they've been shopping, but you don't have to do it that way if it feels off-brand or icky for you. 
You could always make it more generic and just talk about why your brand is so awesome and why they should buy from you. That way it feels more like a campaign email versus an email that was triggered by them looking at a product on your website. You know your brand and customers best. So how do you feel about all of this? Is it something you're excited to start diving into? Does it feel overwhelming? Please DM me on Instagram and let me know. If you feel like you need a little help brainstorming on this or implementing this for your business, please reach out. We can always hash it out on a strategy call or talk more about it in the lounge membership. It's not something you're going to get implemented overnight and you don't have to. Take it step by step, little by little, and the results will compound over time. I hope that you find this super helpful. I hope this is exciting you about what's possible and lessening whatever fear you may have with the way online marketing is changing. There is still plenty of opportunity. The tools are out there to help you. You've just got to take the time to leverage them. And of course, we'll continue to talk about that here on the podcast. And that's a wrap, friend. Thanks so much for spending your time with me today, and I'll see you on the flip side. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you like what you heard, I'd be so grateful if you'd leave a review on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you're looking to surround yourself with more product entrepreneurs who totally get your life right now, get your booty on over to the e-commerce badassery Facebook group. Can't wait to see you there. Until next time, e-commerce friends, stay badass.